0: Saint Francis Xavier, a presentation by Father Daniel Couture. This great saint lived just 46 short years, from 1506 to 1552, but accomplished great things for the glory of God. He is arguably the greatest missionary outside of apostolic times. He was instrumental in establishing the Catholic faith in India, the Malay archipelago, and Japan. A close companion of St. Ignatius of Loyola, he was one of the original seven members of the Jesuit order. His feast day is December 3rd. <speaking in Hebrew>
1: I'm Father Daniel Couture, and I'm so pleased that you have joined me today to hear about one of my favorite saints, St. Francis Xavier. Why speak about him, among so many others, St. Bernard, St. John of Brebeuf, so many others? For various reasons. One is he was a close companion of St. Ignatius of Loyola, one of his closest companions, and Since we preach the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, we have in St. Francis Xavier a direct application, a fruit of the power of that retreat. What one man can do when he lets God do whatever he wants with him. He was a missionary, secondly. A missionary, and we need to hear the stories of missionaries today. One whose concern about saving souls. The story of Fatima is Our Lady the Queen of Missionaries, the Queen of Confessors. She too came on earth because she was concerned about the loss of so many souls. While well, God raised St. Francis Xavier in the 16th century to counterweight the damage Martin Luther was doing in Europe, it is said that all the Catholic who lost the faith in the 16th century in Europe were, were matched by all those that St. Francis Xavier converted in Asia. It is said that he converted about one million souls, one priest, one million souls. There's a third reason I want to speak about him, because St. Francis Xavier is the apostle of Asia. And I was fortunate to spend a few years in Asia. And whether you go to India, to Indonesia, or to Japan, you come across St. Francis Xavier. He's everywhere. So let's speak a little bit about him. And I would like to highlight a few aspects of his short life in which he performed tremendous work. St. Francis Xavier was born in Spain, in the region of Navarre, on April 7th, 1506, very close to Pampaluna. Pampaluna is the city where St. Ignatius got wounded in a battle 15 years later. At the age of 18, rejecting his uh, parents' wishes to continue in in a military career, he wanted to go to Paris to study, to become a master, and to attain glory in the teaching world, in the intellectual world. So he goes to Paris, to La Sorbonne, the first university of the world in these days. He is poor. As so many students, he has to share his apartment and students', students room with others. And he has two companions. One is a, a French deacon from the region of, uh, from Savoya. His name is Pierre Favre, Peter Faber, if you want Favre. Faber is the same. He's a deacon. He has not yet finished his studies. He's in Paris to finish his theology. And the other is a Spaniard, about 20 years older. His name in Spanish is Inigo, in Latin, Ignatius. He's a layman, he's limping because he got wounded in that famous Battle of Pampaluna near near Francis' birthplace. Francis discovers a man in fire with God, a man with great plan, great intention, Ignatius has a plan to conquer the world for Christ. And he is not going to do that alone. He wants a team of men to do it with him. But Francis is thinking of other things. Francis has other ambitions. Francis wants to become a master of La Sorbonne, a university professor. He wants glory, intellectual glory. Ignatius sees the potential of that man and if he put Ignatius understood if Francis put all his energies in the service of our Lord God alone knows what the result would be and little by little Ignatius gains Francis's friendship he helps him even financially when he sees Francis in need although Ignatius is a Poorer than Francis, he goes and beg for Francis, just to win him over. And they talk, and little by little, Ignatius tries to make Francis understand that there's no comparison between the glory of heaven and the glory of this world. And what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he suffers the loss of his soul, if he goes to hell? So, Little by little, like a drop falling on a rock, Ignatius knocks at that heart. He knows there's power there. And he knows, and eventually it opens up. And Francis gives in. And Ignatius gets him through his training course called the Spiritual Exercises. Thirty days of meditation, meditation, a good confession, a meditation on the life of Christ. And particularly when Ignatius explains the passion to Francis that Jesus wanted to suffer. There would be no passion if Jesus did not want to suffer. That in order to suffer, Jesus had to to hide what he was, to cover his divinity with the cloak of his humanity. And as Ignatius is explaining every wound every step of the passion he says Francis he suffered all this for you for me what will you do for him and go and meditate on this that really hit home it's a powerful thought indeed St. Paul speaks about it he loves me and he delivered himself up for me when I was yet an enemy of God, an enemy of the church. So, And so many saints, St. Saint Augustine as well, and so many saints have been, been really transformed at the thought that Jesus suffered all his passion just for me. Our Lord told St. Margaret Mary, just for you, I would be willing to suffer all my passion all over. So Francis gave in, okay, Ignatius, what do you want? And he became his companion. And Ignatius recruited eight others. So they were a group of ten. And on uh, August 15th, Feast of the Assumption, 1534, on that little hill of Montmartre, just a little bit north of Paris, in the city of Paris on the north side, where today there's a magnificent basilica of the Sacred Heart, precisely... Uh, young Father Favor who had just been ordained offered the Holy Mass there's nine men attending the Mass and before communion in front of the Blessed Sacrament they pronounce their vows it's the famous vow of Montmartre and they vowed to give their lives to the service of God they vowed to go to Rome and offer their lives to the Pope this was a counter solution to Luther breaking away millions of people from the Pope, here is another band of men coming, telling the Pope, we'll be your man. Ask us anything. We'll do it. And that's what they did. So they left Paris. They went to Venice, spent some time in Venice. And it's around there that Francis was ordained priest on June 24th, 1537. Then they went to Rome. They did a bit of an apostolate in Rome. And Ignatius sent him to Portugal. Where the Jesuits were developing their apostolate. The king of Portugal, seeing the quality of these men. These were a these different kind of men. These were pros. They were afraid of nothing. They had no human respect. The king asked Ignatius to have two men sent to Asia. And Ignatius appointed two. And this is how... God rules the world just before leaving I don't know if it was days or weeks before leaving one of the two got very very sick and Ignatius was informed and Francis who had been dying to go to Asia but who had restrained himself making the sacrifice not to go then was asked by Ignatius you take the place of the one who is sick and Francis is dream came through they left to Portugal 1541 and they arrived in Goa in India in May of 1542 it took uh, 13 months down to South Africa and then all the way to the west coast of India Francis will spend three years in India 1542 to 1545 mostly in Goa he will go a little bit further north, just north of Bombay. There's an old Portuguese fort, just north of Bombay. We actually have a chapel in that area called Vasai. I was fortunate to go and say Mass right there in the fort where St. Francis Xavier actually said Mass as well in one of the old ruined churches. Today it's a ruined church. Then he went down the coast, the what is today Kerala, where they have the the Thomas Christians, actually, And he did a lot of work there. He was always walking barefoot in the burning sands of India. The sun was so hot, he had made himself a little hood on his cassock to cover his head because it's burning hot in India and the sun is pretty strong. Then he crossed the tip of India and he went to what is today Tamil Nadu. And there he converted Indians by the thousands, by the thousands. In one of his letters to St. Ignatius, He says, Father, Father, my arm is sore. Last month, I baptized 30,000 Indians. 30,000. And he saw the the harvest was immense. He would write letters. Historians say that the letters of St. Francis produce more fruits than his own work in Asia. His letters were sent were written in Portuguese or in, in, in Spanish or in Latin. But they were read from the pulpit. They were copied and priests would come on the pulpit and read the letters of that missionary that was over there in, in Asia. And here's just a passage from perhaps one of his most famous letter. It was from Cochin. Cochin, so it's the southwest of uh, India, which is in Kerala today january 15 1544 he describes what he has been doing how he was teaching catechism to these people and this is the passage many fail to become christians in these regions because they have no one who is concerned with such pious and holy matters Many times I am seized with the thought of going to the schools in your lands and crying out there like a man who has lost his mind. And especially at the University of Paris, telling those in the Sorbonne, that was his alma mater, remember, those at the the Sorbonne who have a greater regard for learning than desire to prepare themselves to produce fruit with it. That's the result of Ignatius' work on Francis. That's what he would like to say to them. How many souls fail to go to glory and go instead to hell through their neglect? And thus, as they make progress in their studies, if they would study the accounting which God our Lord will demand of them and of the talent which has been given to them, many of them would be greatly moved and taking means and making spiritual exercises to know the will of God within their soul they would say, conforming themselves to it, rather than to their own inclinations, Lord, here I am. What would you have me to do? Send me wherever you will, and if need be, even to the Indies. With how much greater consolation would they then live? And they would have great hope in the divine mercy at the hour of their death, when they will encounter that particular judgment which no man can escape. And will say on their own behalf, Lord, you gave me five talents. Behold, here are another five that I have gained with them. That's the famous letter of St. Francis. You can see burning. Just a few hundred years later, a lady will say the same thing. At Fatima, you have seen the souls of sinners going to hell. In order to save them, God wants to establish devotion to my Immaculate Heart. So he's in India for three years, baptizing whole villages. He would go to the chief. He understood. And that was Ignatius's tactics, his go to the leaders, go to the heads, convert the kings, the, the head of clans, and then they will convert all their people. So that was the Jesuit approach. Nevertheless, his worst opposition in India was the viceroy of the king of Portugal. And who was... Uh, Trading pearls with the Muslim rather than helping the missionaries. And so Francis got stuck at one stage. In 1545, he goes to what is today Madras or Chennai and he's stuck. He would like instruction from Saint Ignatius, but there's no emails in these days. You have to write a letter, find a boat and wait months, six months to get an answer. So he does a 30-day retreat. Should he go across the Indian Ocean to the other side, there's people over there that are asking him to come. And the result of his retreat is, yeah, let's go. Providence is opening a door. He gets on a ship. He crosses over to what is today Malaysia to the city, the main city at that time was Malacca. That will become a, a, ter- a base for Francis. Altogether, he will spend about six months only in Malacca because from there, then he will go to Indonesia. He heard that there was a king in Indonesia, in uh, the eastern part of Indonesia, who would like to convert. Actually, it did not work out, but he went all the way to the Moluccas, which is south of the Philippines, and the Portuguese were actually going there to look for for spices, for pepper, all kinds of spices. They were going for commerce, but they were bringing the priest along. It's Catholic people. It is in one of these trips to one of these islands that you just imagine Francis on board the ship and there's stormy waters and Francis is there praying on the deck and it's rough waters in the South China Sea. And all of a sudden... There's, so we don't know, was it an accident or was it on purpose? But Francis was holding his crucifix. So did he just, did he drop it when he was jerked by the waves or did he actually throw it in the water a little bit like Jonas was thrown in the water? Nevertheless, he lost his crucifix, his crucifix, and there's no shops around to buy another one. So he was pretty desolate. Eventually the ship Uh, landed there on the island nearby and Francis was on the beach uh, saying his rosary, praying my God, Saint Anthony, please can I get my crucifix back and he prayed and he prayed like a saint can pray and lo and behold, a crab came out of the water holding the crucifix and that is the story, it's it's recalled in the history of Saint Francis Xavier it's a famous passage where He recovered his crucifix. While he was in in Indonesia, something happened in Malacca. A man arrived from Japan. This man was Buddhist. His name was Anjiro. Anjiro, a few months before, had suspected his wife to have an affair. So, the pagan Japanese way to resolve... Such a situation was very simple. He decided to kill the man whom he thought his wife was having an affair with. And then he killed his wife. It's kind of a pretty rough solution. But then he started feeling bad. It's, well, hmm, what did I do? And he happened to meet some Portuguese sailors. The Portuguese arrive in Japan about 1537. We're talking about 1545. No, 1548. And Hiro talked to these Portuguese sailors and uh, they managed to communicate in whatever language they could uh, broken Japanese, broken Portuguese what do you do in uh, your religion when you feel dirty in your heart when you have done something wrong oh, the Portuguese says well, we go to confession that's simple how do I do that? We well, need to find a priest okay, well, is there any priest here? he says, no where's the nearest priest? well the nearest priest is is in uh, Malacca where's that? it's about one month by ship oh but you need to be baptized first so when are you going over there? well we're going soon so Angiro got on the boat went to Malacca when he arrived in Malacca Francis was gone to Indonesia and so he said where's the priest? oh he's not here, he's gone when is he coming back? we don't know You never know with Francis Xavier. He could be gone for years. And Jiro waited one month and uh, Francis never showed up. So he said, well, I'm just going to go back. I'll just go back. Get back on another ship going back to Japan. The ship was, all this is uh, historically proven. The ship left was near the coast of Vietnam heading toward like Hong Kong area when there was a typhoon that pushed the, the ship way back like backtracking so much that the captain of the ship said, listen, we might as well just go back to Malacca, reload and start again. And so Angiro came back to Malacca and now Francis had come back. So Angiro heard about it and he went to the church where Francis was actually doing a wedding. And after the mass, the couple came out and Francis came out And here was the first encounter of Japan with a Catholic priest. And Jiro bowed profoundly like the Japanese love to do. And he greeted Father Francis. And he started asking questions. What is God? What is afterlife? What is a soul? And Francis says, oh, this is interesting. And he discovered that the Japanese were very, very uh, philosophical. They were deep thinkers. I said, oh, I love this. Are they all like you in, at home? They're all like me. And so Francis says, I want to go there. I want to meet your people. But Francis had to go and check his mail. Well, the mail was in Goa. So he said, get on the ship. So he took Anjiro on board. He converted him on the way, catechized him, baptized him, the name of Paul, went back to Malacca. And then in 1549, they went to Japan. So Francis arrived on August 15th, 1549. He will spend two years in Japan. He will make about 500 converts. He wanted to convert the emperor. And uh, one time, he twice he went to Kyoto, where the, the imperial palace was then. One time, he was with one of his brothers, Brother Fernandez. He was so excited that somebody said, yes, if you do this, you can meet the emperor. He walked Forty kilometers barefoot in the snow. And a brother who was walking behind and trying to keep up with Francis said Francis was playing with an apple. Francis was pretty athletic when he was at the Sorbonne. He was a, a, cha- a long jump champion. So he's playing with an apple and at night they stay in some inns. Francis' feet were frozen, were cracking. And the brother said he would wrap his feet with whatever he could find, they were bleeding and he could see actually the, the blood in the snow behind him. But Francis says, we're going to go to the emperor and try to convert the emperor, my first emperor. So, when he got to the palace of the emperor, he can still go. Some, some years ago, we went with a, a group of priests We went to, to see this palace of the emperor in Kyoto and one of the gates of the palace where Francis met the guard. And the guard was there, and says, "What do you want? We like see the emperor. Who are you? Well, I come from the King of Heaven. We don't know him. Okay? Yes, but uh, the King of Heaven, the one who made everything, Well, we don't know him. If you came from China, perhaps I'd let you in. And Francis said, "If I came from China, you would let me in? Yeah, of course. China. And uh, if your faith is so true." How come the Chinese don't know it? And so Francis, who was smart, realized that the Japanese, and even to this day, it's, it's a feature of the Japanese, their followers, their copiers. You know, today you make, one country will make a new machine, the Japanese will buy it, and then they can reproduce it. it, it they're well known to imitate. And then Francis understood that the Japanese respected the Chinese. So, there came from a guard at the gate of the imperial palace the idea of going to China, convert the emperor of China, because if I can get China, I'll get Japan as well. They'll follow. So, he tells Paul, let's go to China. So, he left in 1551 had to go and check his mail. <laughs> Even missionaries have to check their mail, you know. So, because his superior he had to consult with his superior, which was Ignatius, who was in Rome. So, where's the mail? That's in India. So, Japan, Malaysia, Malaysia, all the way to Goa. Check the mail. No news from Ignatius. Francis had written to him, Can I go to China? And there's no answer. So, he said well let's go and so he made his way back then all the way to malacca and as he was planning to leave the viceroy of the portuguese king put some obstacle and he missed the uh, the travelling season the the, the monsoon at the, the right moment he got delayed he actually francis actually cursed the viceroy who was blocking god's work and later on the viceroy died of leprosy but eventually, Francis left and the boat he took landed on a little island called Sancian. Look at a map. You have Hong Kong. Go a little bit west. The city of Macau, the famous casinos in Macau. Go a little bit west and there's an island just nearby Macau. The island is Sancian. And Francis was there with the Portuguese who were doing uh, trading, i would say, a uh, illegal trading with the Chinese. The Chinese had said death penalty to any foreigners who come to China. So no Chinese wanted to take a foreigner and no foreigner wanted to go because you'd die. And eventually for Francis, this was August 1552, Francis waited, waited, he tried to pay some sailors, they lied to him, He got sick, and on the night of December 2nd to December 3rd, he died on the island of Sanxian. The Portuguese buried him right there. They had no coffin, just wrap him in in a blanket, and they put some lime underneath him, the body, just bare body, and lime over him. This was December. The Portuguese captain was going to leave in February, so they were hoping that within two months the lime would have dissolved all the flesh and it would be only the the bones left. So just before leaving in February, the captain sent one of the young boys to see the body. So the boy started digging where the body was and it was as if Francis was sleeping. The boy said, they won't believe me. He took out his little pocket knife and cut a bit of skin, of flesh, just above the knee. And he came back, Captain, look! The body is totally corrupt. He's bleeding. has been He's dead two months. He's still bleeding. So the captain said, well, I'm going to take him on board like this. We're going. So they're just wrapping him in a blanket. Went from Sanchan all the way back to Malacca. There they put him in a church, a church of St. Paul in Malacca. you can still see today the hole where the body was for one year. And the Portuguese in Goa said, we want the body. So the body was sent to Goa, incorrupt body, sent to Goa, where it is today, on top of one of the altars, incorrupt. So incorrupt, that about 50 years after his death, a superior of the Jesuits wanted relics from St. Francis. So he gave instruction to the Jesuits in India to send relics. So there's two, two stories. One story is, they had to open his stomach to get some relics, and as they opened his stomach, this is 50 years after his death, his body started to bleed again. So, whoa. Whoa. Later on, another request came from Rome this time, which was, the general in Rome wanted to have the right forearm. The arm that he baptized hundreds of thousands of people. This should go to Rome. So, instructions arrive in India, so the superior of the Jesuit Ask a surgeon to come with him. They open the, the coffin or the, where the body was. And Saint Francis had his hands on his chest like we always have. Well, you've never tried it. When we die, we, we put their hands in, holding a rosary or a crucifix. And the surgeon moves the arm of Francis and the arm goes back. And they do that three times. And so, he does not want to. What are we going to do? These were holy men in these days. So the superior says, I know. I know what to do. Father Francis, in the name of holy obedience, don't move. They moved the arm. and didn't move. So they cut the arm, sent it to Rome. It is that arm that baptized hundreds of thousands of people that came to Canada in 2017 In January 2017, that relic that came from Rome went through 14 cities across Canada, the arm of that, of that great missionary. So, that is St. Francis Xavier. Great man. In 1621, the bishops of Quebec proclaim him secondary patron of Canada. So he's one of our patron saints. So let us learn from St. Francis Xavier To put our faith into practice. We have received talents. We need to multiply these talents. And how do we do this? It's not by earning money. It's by saving souls. And that is also the whole message of Fatima. Please, my children, Our Lady says, help me to save souls. St. Francis Xavier, beautiful example of this. And so let us try to imitate him. And I will just finish by urging all of you to go and follow the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius, which is that uh, five days. Well, he had 30 days. We give it in five days. And it is these spiritual exercises that make that great saint. Go through them, and you'll become a saint yourselves. Thank you very much.
0: This presentation has been brought to you by The Fatima Center Copyright 2023 All rights reserved For more resources regarding the Catholic faith And the message of Fatima And to support this vital apostolate With a donation Please visit our website Fatima.org Or call us at 1-800-263-8160 263 Holy Ghost Illumine our faith strengthen our hope, and inflame our charity. Give us the grace to unfailingly trust in Our Lady's words. In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and she will be converted, and a period of peace will be granted to the world. St. Francis Saviour, pray for us.